Hannibal Lecter. Lock it up. Some, what do you, what do you eat it with? Lime? I, lima beans? No, fava beans. Uh-huh. I, 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 I just live it with, with some. Fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> yep. 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 I'm married to that. <laughs> um, well, on that lovely note, hello and welcome to episode eight of Coast to Coast Crime. Or how to eat your spouse's kidney. Whoa. No, wait, whoa, liver. Whoa, whoa. I messed that one up. Liver. Liver. I was never a fan of liver. Can you eat kidney? I, I don't think so. Well, why not? Okay. The liver is a, pro- a piece that, that processes toxins, a.k.a. all the alcohol people drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, but your kidneys, they, they, they're like us. I thought what they do is they kind of process toxins too before it. Yeah. Yes. So can you eat? Why can't she eat kidneys? I mean, uh, are you talking about like out of an animal? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I've never even thought about it. I mean, I know people eat organs, like, you know. And yeah, you can eat the heart. You can eat the liver. probably, yes. Yeah, why don't you hop on the Googs and see what the Goog says. Um, and while you're doing that, I will get back to the fact that we today are going to Pennsylvania. And... My favorite Pennsylvania. Thing, yeah. And my favorite thing about Pennsylvania is Hershey Park. Do you want to know my least favorite thing about Pennsylvania? My favorite part? Is Hunter's favorite part. Yeah. Um, but, Pittsburgh Stews. Oh, God, kill me. Um, did you know that, I mean, have you, have you ever been to Hershey Park? No. Oh, my God. It's the best. It is? It's the best. It's okay. so much fun. But I also didn't realize this. Did you know that Hershey, uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania is actually considered the chocolate capital of the United States? Which makes total sense, but... That's cool. Yeah, it's wicked. Oh, now I really I'll only want to go if they have a building made out of chocolate. You can go through, like, the chocolate factory. No, no. I want a building like Willy Wonka that I can walk up and just <laughs> take a bite out of. Yeah. They have a um, Hershey Kiss kissing tower. It goes all the way up and you spin around and it comes all the way down. Okay, I'm going to shut up. This is a true crime show. Okay, so, um, yes, this is Pennsylvania. And I was actually trying to figure out, I was like, all right, I know I'm going to do something from PA. I knew it. And I couldn't, I was like, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm sitting on the computer and I'm watching Investigation Discovery. And I'm like clicking away on my computer, Googling like, worst crimes and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden I keep hearing from the TV, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. And I was like. Yes, you rang. And then I realized at that moment, I was like, oh, this is the crime that I am going to do. So this is where I got the case from. Um, What sparked it in my brain was a um, People Magazine investigates on investigation discovery. So that's... People Magazine investigates investigates. on uh, a channel or a show on a channel. Yeah, so People, People Magazine investigates is the show... And Investigation Discovery is the channel. This sounds like a shell corporation of true crime. Um, no. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't know about that. But yeah, no? okay. Okay, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, that is my my first source. I also have Murderpedia, Wikipedia. Peds. The Peds. Um, and UnsolvedMysteries.com or .fandom.com site. I don't know who wrote it up, but apparently this is on Unsolved Mysteries back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was also a YouTube video called The Murder of Holly Maddox Solved by Mary Hallberg, and she had a lot of good facts on there, too. So it was solved, but it was unsolved. Well, yes, 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 yes it is. You'll see, you'll see. You do this, and then every time I'm like, what the, what? And then you're just like, 
I mean, babe. Tarantino it on me or something. It's not this, It's not Tarantinoing it. I'm just saying. It's solved, but I'm not going to tell you yet. Don't, We're going to slow burn it to the it's end. It's a story. You I start, know. there's a beginning, middle, and an end. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Um, so this is the story of Holly Maddox and Ira Einhorn, a.k.a. the Unicorn Killer. What? <laughs> yeah, you going to be Okay. It's not it's not as fun as I think you think it is. I, I guarantee it's not. No. As we've learned in other episodes, yeah. I get like intrigued and then I feel sick to my stomach at the end of these episodes. Mm. Um, let's just, you know, let's jump into it. All right, let's do it. So Helen Holly Maddox was born on May 26, 1947 in Tyler, Texas. She was the first child of Elizabeth and Fred Maddox. Eventually, she would be joined by her sisters, Mary, Meg, Elizabeth, and a brother named John. Big what family. Is this a Brady Bunch? <laughs> this is a story of my... No. no. Uh, so Holly was a beautiful, bubbly girl, and she was not vain at all, but she was stunning. And she was also smart. She loved art. She was a cheerleader. And she was even voted most likely to succeed in high school. So this girl had it all. She was blonde hair, just gorgeous. And she was salutatorian of her graduating class of 1965. And I have to tell you right now that I was today years old when I learned what that was. And that was like second place to valedictorian. I Wait, what's it called? Salutatorian. Salutatorian. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah, that's embarrassing. But I was literally like, I learned something new today. <laughs> I was going to say, that makes two of us. So that's fine. But anyways, she was that at her graduating class in 1965. And Tyler, Texas was a really small conservative, conservative town, which did not suit Holly. So after graduation, she finally had her chance to get the hell out and go see the world. And she enrolled at Bryn Mawr College in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Um, so, oh, yeah. And she graduated in 1971 with a degree in English. Wow. Yeah. Good for her. I know. I mean, she's killing it. So after college, Holly bounced around from job to job, trying to figure out what she wanted to do with her future. And in 1972, at the age of 25, Holly was just sitting in a restaurant minding her own business when she was approached by a man named Ira Einhorn. Dun, dun, dun. Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. I was waiting for you. (laughs) How did you not throw an Ace Ventura quote in? Oh, my God. I was waiting to see her to say something. Okay. So Ira Samuel Einhorn was born on May 15th, 1940 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was born into a middle-class Jewish family, but developed into a bona fide left-wing radical by the time he was in his 20s. Yeah. As a student uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, he became a symbol and a prominent figurehead in the youth-driven movement in the 60s that stood in opposition to the Americans' involvement in the Vietnam War. No, I didn't write that because that was too eloquent for my liking. <laughs> I thought it sounded great. It did. Basically, big hippie dude, anti-Vietnam, ecological stuff. He was in the forefront of that as well. Just like your quintessential hippie dude. Yeah. He was also a co-founder and speaker at the first Earth Day event in Pennsylvania or in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1970. And later he claimed to have been instrumental in creating and launching the event. But that has been disputed by many people and there isn't any proof. But nonetheless, he was involved in the first day. Gotcha. Okay. So he became recognizable as Philadelphia's quote unquote head hippie which is a funny title. He was a really, like, he was a large, burly man with electric blue eyes and an unkempt beard, and he seldom washed or bathed. And despite his hygiene, he was known for being quite the ladies' man. 
ladies loved him. Got them um, pheromones, them natural pheromones running off that grizzly yeah, body. They said something, oh, I wish I would have written the quote down, but somebody had said, you know, um, he gets like, I forget if it's like he gets politicians to drop their guns and girls to drop their bell bottoms or like something along those lines. And I was like, why did I not write that down? But anyway, he, because apparently he would actually, instead of just being like, looking at women as women, he would talk to them and be like, how do you feel about the war? What are your thoughts on life? And they were like, oh my God, because it was the seventies and women were still treated like garbage. So anyway, uh, now do, 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 do. Oh, and he was known to some of his supporters at the unit as the unicorn because Einhorn in German means one horn. Wait, what? Einhorn in German means one horn. So thus, he started getting called the unicorn. Ah. Yeah. Meaning uno horno. <laughs> he didn't have a horn, though. No, he was like... Did they refer to his one horn? No, no. I don't know. No, it's just his last name in German means one horn, singular oh, horn. sorry. I just went through, like, every thought of the Ace Ventura movie trying to think if Einhorn was, like, a unicorn. A but like, Yeah. <laughs> Finkel, Einhorn. Anyways, I'm lost. Let's, go, let's keep going. <laughs> so the day when Holly met Ira, there was an instant connection. The relationship moved very quickly. And within two weeks of meeting each other, Holly moved in with Ira. Mm. Yeah. Their relationship, though, was tumultuous, to say the least. And they would often get into arguments and were regularly doing the whole, like, we're going to break up. We're going to get back together. Break up, back together constantly. And he was also known to be just, like, a free love kind of guy, total hippie status, who wanted to have, like, an open relationship. But Holly was just not a fan of that idea. And Holly's family also really, really disliked Ira. And they thought he was just way too controlling of her. And at some point during their five-year relationship, Ira escalated from being verbally abusive to physically abusive. One morning, Andrea Boyce, a co-worker and friend of Holly's, noticed really weird bruising on her neck. And she denied it at first, but soon Holly admitted that Ira had hurt her. And at mm. this point, yeah. And at this point, she slowly began to distance herself from him, mainly just due to the abuse. Smart girl. And... So now we move on to them going abroad. At some point, even though she was starting to distance herself, they took a trip to England together. And while abroad in England with Ira, Holly decided, this is it. I'm done. I'm ending this relationship. So she abruptly just leaves, says, fuck off, Ira, leaves his ass in England, gets on a plane and goes back. And then she goes to New York. So she literally leaves all of her belongings at his place. And she just goes to New York and rents an apartment of her own and tries to kind of just get past the breakup. Side note, that's that's impressive. Yeah. A, I'm going to leave you on a trip yep. on a, in another continent. Yep. B, I'm not going to go get any of my shit. Yeah. And C, I'm just going to like get a new place. Yeah. Like, I don't, I can't see how that happens nowadays. No. If you and I were dating and you're like, I'm over this. Yeah. I would expect the next couple of days as you trying to plan to get your stuff out or me getting my stuff yeah. out. Yeah. And I think he's, he was also very, very full of himself. So I think at that point when she left, he was just kind of like, whatever, I'm great. This is fine. You know, and like, didn't, yeah. it didn't like register like that. Yeah. So as part of her, you know, I'm going to get past this breakup, Holly goes to Fire Island and she stays with one of her friends. And while she's there over Labor Day weekend, Holly gets introduced to this guy named Sal, Sal, nope, Saul Lapidus. I keep thinking of Sal from 
the last one of the last episodes. Ah. Um, so she gets introduced to Saul Lapidus. And Saul was charming. He was successful. He was kind. He owned an apartment, I think they said, in New York City and a home on Fire Island, which is extremely expensive. So he was really well off. And he was just so nice to her. She immediately gravitated toward him. And the two were inseparable for the rest of the duration of her trip. Um, it was just instant sparks flew. And they began dating pretty much blissfully right away. And because of that, Holly officially promptly broke things off with Ira. I think it was kind of just like an up in the air type thing. Like she just left. But that was her point of saying we're done. Hmm. So on September 9th, 1977, Ira realized that Holly was dating someone else and was freaking outraged. And he angrily called her while she was with Saul and demanded that she immediately come back to Philadelphia. He told her, he gathered up all of her stuff and he was going to just chuck it into the street if she didn't come back right away to get all of her shit. So this, of course, made her upset. But Saul was like, listen, please do not go. He begged her like that did not give him a good feeling. He said, just stay here with me. But she said it would be OK. She said, look, I'm going to go get my stuff. I'll talk to him. It'll be fine. I'll be back in no time. So there's nothing really Saul could do. They say goodbye. And that's kind of it. So the last time, um, so she gets, so she gets to Ira's apartment that evening, actually. So she goes down. I don't know if she drove. I think she must have driven, which that's a hell of a drive. New York to Philly sometimes. But is it? I mean, it can be. Well, Maryland. So from Baltimore to Philly is three hours. Or sorry, Baltimore to New York is three hours. So maybe it's only a couple hours to Philly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because trying to think. It's been a while since I've done that drive. A long while. Could be exciting. You never know. <laughs> to get all your shit, I would drive a few hours. Yeah, for sure. So they so they said their goodbye. Saul did in New York with her. And then that evening, Holly goes and sees Ira. And I guess in an attempt to kind of just like smooth things over, they went to the movies with another couple. So they... You know, go to the movies, they have a nice time, they go back to his apartment, they part ways with the other couple, and then that is the last time that anyone would ever see Holly alive. Oh. So it was just that, just like that, boom, boom, boom. A few days later, Ira unsuccessfully tried to convince the same friends that they went to the movies with to help him dump a large, heavy trunk that he said was full of, quote unquote, Russian documents into a nearby river. They were like, no. So he just got stuck with the trunk. <laughs> yeah. And he just suddenly had some Russian documents. Yeah. Well, this that kind of ties in a little bit later, but he was... There you go. Tarantino. I mean. <laughs> we'll see. So when Holly failed to return home, Saul and, his, and her friends began to worry. So they report her missing to the Philadelphia police, but they were initially not very alarmed by her disappearing. Ira had, like, a really great standing in the community, and, you know, it's just, they were like, oh, it's, it's Ira, it's her, it's fine, because she was, he was the predominant one in the couple, Mm -hmm. so everybody was just like, oh, we're gonna take him at his word, nobody thought to, like, look into it, because they kind of just poo-pooed on her, which fucking sucks. Yeah. But no alarm bells were, were rung, so they're like, all right, that's fine. However, the following month, when her mother didn't receive a birthday card from Holly, she knew something was extremely wrong. She sent a birthday card to her mom every year religiously. Yeah. That was like major red flag. So her family questioned um, Ira directly, actually, as to where Holly was. But he just said, you know, she'd gone to the store and she never came back. Sounds normal. 
Later, both Ira and one of Holly's friends would also tell the family that she was at a mission in India. And the, her friend, when they asked, well, how the hell did you get that information? Her friend goes, oh, I contacted a medium and the medium told me that she's at a, at a mission in India. Okay. So not surprisingly, they couldn't prove that. And the family were like, we call bullshit. Yeah. But whatever. So not believing any of Ira's stories, her parents went out and hired their own private investigators. They were actually uh, former FBI agents, and they decided to do their own private investigation. So they located the movie-going couple that they went out with that night. She disappeared, and they learned about Ira trying to dispose of the trunk. They told them that. And they also interviewed the tenants in the apartment below his, who had been complaining pretty constantly of a foul smell and odd fluid that was seeping through their closet ceiling, which, yes. Gross. Which had come to the attention of the building's landlord. And the landlord had received multiple complaints and actually had a plumber go uh, to Ira's, but he would he refused to let them access his closet. He let them in the apartment, but that was off limits. Yeah. Red flag. So in 1979, after compiling all of their findings into a report, the private investigators turned everything over to the Philadelphia police. And the huge report that they put together actually allowed the authorities to obtain a search warrant for Ira's apartment. On March 28th, 1979, the police searched his apartment and discovered a padlock closet door in Ira's bedroom. When Ira said that he didn't have a key or the lock or anything, or have a key for the lock, I should say, the detectives were like, well, screw that. We're going to cut this bad boy off. So once inside, they discovered boxes with the name Maddox on them. Now, mind you, he's saying she left. I don't know where she is, whatever. So now they open it up. All of her boxes are in there and they start going through things. And they instantly find her purse containing her driver's license. Well, if you're going to leave and just run off, if you're like, that's the one thing you're probably going to want to take. Yeah. yeah, you might forfeit everything else, but you're going to take your identification in your purse. So that made them really suspicious. So they continue to dig deeper into this closet and they uncover a locked steamer trunk in there. And when they open it, they find Holly's mummified body. Jesus. She had been in there for 18 months. And upon the discovery, the detectives turned around to confront him and he said, quote, you found what you found, end quote. I mean, that is a direct quote from him to the police. I was going to say, you can't really uh, talk your way out of that one. No, you can't. No. No. I mean, there's really there's really no way around it. And why do you hold on to the body that long? I guess. Well, he, he remember, he tried to dump it and he, it was too heavy. He couldn't because, you know, those are the old steamer trunks you see in like movies that are like. Yeah. L- like fancy schmancy heavy trunks. I thought he was a big guy. He's big, but that she I mean, she was a grown woman. I think like if it were me in a trunk like that, you would have a hard time getting it down from an apartment into a car. I think it would be a pain. Yeah. Yeah. Don't I mean, any freaking ideas. Sorry, but for me, like, there, where there's a will, there's a way. I'm not going to leave. If I were a murderer, I would not leave a body in a trunk in my closet in my possession. Okay, great. Now who needs to sleep with one eye open? Apparently it's not you anymore. <sighs> the tables have turned. Oh, God. So an autopsy determined that Holly had been beaten to death. Ira later explained that the FBI and CIA had planted her body in his apartment because he knew about their, quote unquote, mind control weaponry. 
Mm. Yeah, Russian documents, mind control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was taken into custody but released when $4,000, 10% of his already reduced bail, was paid by a socialite. He was able to get bail because his attorney, Arlen Specter, had prominent individuals testify to his character. And it was said that uh, Ira had, was friends with like Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. Like He had a lot of really famous and influential friends. So a lot of people came to testify on his behalf. And after his arrest, people started calling him the Unicorn Killer. So they kind of took his name that they already had given him and just tacked on the killer. In January 1981, two days before his trial, Ira skips town and he flees to Europe. Thus began an international manhunt for Ira Einhorn. Of course. Of course. Dun, dun, dun. He's got to get away from all that mind control. All that mind control. So conducting the manhunt was Assistant District Attorney Richard De. Okay, I butchered this every time I said it in my head. Richard D. Benedetto. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Benedetto. Sounded good. In 1985, Ira was traced to Dublin, Ireland, where he was living under the name Ben Moore, which yes, he got from the paint. Alias. Seriously, he got his alias from Ben Moore, the painter. Uh, good one. Yeah, right. However, also wait, is Ben Moore an Irish name? I mean, it sounds like it to me. I don't know. It sounds like it though. McLanny, Keeley. There's a lot of other yeah Irish words. Mm. More. Maybe. Maybe. Sure. Maybe, baby. Who knows? So, however, there were no extradition papers in effect, and he fled to Dublin after he got wind of them locating his whereabouts. It seemed like Ira was always one step ahead of the police. Like, he would always get wind. It was really frustrating. So, Ira traveled in Europe for the next 16 years. And along the way, he married a woman named Anika Floden um, in 1987. In the, neural, in the early 90s, Ira revealed to Nika that he was a fugitive, but he swore up and down that he was innocent of the crime that he was charged with. And it's unclear if he ever actually, like, divulged specific details about the case or if he just said very, pla- like, plainly, it's a crime, I'm innocent, and didn't tell her how severe it was. Nobody, nobody knows still to this day. Um, but every time... They got tipped off. She stayed by his side. They'd hear that the cops were coming. They would pack up together and they would flee together. Wow. So she became his straight up like ride or die. Legit ride or die. Legit. Yeah. And in 1993, the unprecedented step was actually taken to try Ira in absentia, which is exactly what you would think. Basically trying a suspect without them having to actually be present. Yeah. Which is pretty rare. He was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. So in absentia. In 1994, D. Benedetto learned that Ira's benefactor, Barbara Bronfman, had actually been financing his flight from his hunters. So she was the socialite. She's the one who paid his bail. She had been funneling him money under the assumption she really believed he was innocent. However, something had actually occurred that, and I don't know what it was, but she she had a change of heart and now believed that Ira was guilty and she couldn't in good conscience keep giving him money. So she provided the officers um, with his Stockholm, Sweden address where he was residing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The home in Sweden was in the name of Anika Floden, who said she had no knowledge of Ira, saying that she knew him as Ben Moore and that she had no idea where he was. Then Anika disappears. Wasn't it? Wait, Anika was his ride or die. He was his ride or die, yeah. More so, like her. Bye. Bye. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So 
investigators ran her name through Interpol and found out that she had relocated to France and married Ira, who was then known under the name of Eugene Mallon. Mallon? Sure. The yep. pri- mm-hmm. The big break that they received, though, was a copy of her request to get a French driver's license with her current address on it. So they kind of go off grid. They get a room where they're in this tiny town. Then that request comes through. And she actually, on the request, made it um, Anika Floden Mallon. And they're like, hmm. Well, I bet you they're together, and that's his new alias. So bada bing, bada boom. If that's her actual address on that license request, we got him. We got him. Yes. So knowing that Ira would most likely be with Anika, they made their move. On June 13th, 1997, Di Benedetto and his men arrested Ira in a converted mill house outside Champagne-Mouton, a beautiful village in the French countryside near Cognac. Beautiful French countryside for murder. They didn't do murders there. Well, I'm sure somebody's been murdered there, but... Probably it's fancy-ass wine, though. But it looks beautiful. So now the task was getting Ira extradited back to the United States. He hired Ted Simon, an expert in international law and a brilliant attorney, to fight the extradition process. Simon did so by citing established rules of the European Convention of Human Rights, to which France is a party and an active defender. The rules deny the legitimacy of trials in absentia, especially when the maximum sentence is life in prison. So... In French and European theory of law, trials in absentia deny the suspect the right to defend themselves in court. And in their opinion, it kind of makes a mockery of the presumption of innocence. Like you're basically trying them. They can't defend themselves. Where is this innocent before proving guilty? Yeah, it doesn't sound like a legit form of trying someone. And additionally, under the ECHR, France is prevented from deporting or extraditing anyone within its its borders to a country where they are not guaranteed a fair trial. So they're not required to do that. They won't do it. It also would not allow extradition if the death penalty was on the table. So you have to, to be extradited, not have a possibility of being sentenced to death, and you also have to um, have a fair trial when you get back. They can't just rule in absentia and send you right to court or right to jail. It also, uh, at that time, so okay, so at that time, under Pennsylvania state law, Ira would have had no possibility to receive a new trial, and he would have been imprisoned immediately under the terms of the 1993 sentence upon his arrival back in America. So he was sentenced to life as of that time, that's what was going to happen. Well, the extradition application failed because of that. And the French court said, no, we're not going to send him back to you if you're going to give him life imprisonment. So on December 4th, 1997, Ira is released. That's I mean, it's crazy. He continued to proclaim his innocence and insist that he was set up by the government. What? I'm telling you, Russia, all that weird stuff that he was thinking. It's it's nuts. So, so here we are again, Alex, talking about someone and what they did. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping you hit me with a surprise that he's not just a free man walking around <laughs> as we talk about him on a podcast. Yeah. Stay tuned. It's almost <sighs> over. Tarantino. So, and, <laughs> oh, just the joys. In 1999, Holly's family filed a civil suit against Ira to keep him from financially benefiting from his story. And they were granted $900 million. Zauza. Yeah. Um, because I think there were rumors of him talking about like selling his rights for a movie or, you know, like stuff like that. And they're like, oh, fuck that. You're not going to capitalize on our daughter's death. Yeah. So good on them for actually granting them the money. Yeah. 
In January of 1998, the Pennsylvania legislature, however, had actually passed a new law that granted a previously tried and condemned man a new trial. So Einhorn was actually rearrested and placed on bail to wait a new extradition hearing because based on that, he would now be able to get a fair trial so they could potentially extradite him. His lawyer fought to keep him in France, but the case made its way to the French Prime Minister Lionel Jospin. Probably not right, but let's go with that. On July 21st, uh, 2000, Jospin agreed to the extradition under the agreement that Ira would get a fair trial and would not be eligible for the death penalty. Ira's lawyer is appealed, obviously, to the Council d'État, which I believe is the Council, the State Council, uh, which is the highest French court of law, but the appeal failed. And listen to this shit. This is fucking bananas. Like, Gwen Stefani, B-A-N-A-N-S. I can't, can't. This motherfucker publicly slit his throat in front of a television crew, in front of cameras, after the Council d'État's decision. So... He literally, while the cameras are rolling, had a kitchen knife. And luckily for everybody, uh, I guess, else involved, he slit his own throat on camera, but with a butter knife. So while there was a lot of blood, thankfully, it wasn't actually that serious. It wasn't lethal, yeah. But he was just like such a showboater and like had to just whatever that he did that in front of everybody. So whatever didn't work he says it was a suicide attempt but everybody else thinks it's probably just publicity with a butter knife with a butter knife yeah but on July 21st 2001 Ira is returned to the United States via the Philadelphia International Airport to stand trial for the murder of Molly of uh, Holly Maddox and they said like he literally did that to himself cut himself up they put him in like you know an ambulance they patched him up and they put his ass right on the plane it's like once it Good. was ru- once Good. it was ruled they were like no dice dude like it's not keeping you in this country so taking the stand in his own defense, Ira claimed that the that Maddox was murdered by CIA agents who attempted to frame him for the crime due to his investigations on the Cold War and psychotronics. So he was like getting out there. Jesus. However, shockingly, the jury did not find his testimony credible and affirmed his conviction on October 17th, 2002, after only two hours of deliberation. So boom shock. That was quick. Yeah, they knew he was guilty as hell. Uh, The following day, he was sentenced to mandatory life term or to a mandatory life term without the possibility of parole. Ira began serving his sentence at the SCI Housedale. Sadly, Holly's parents were not alive, though, to see Ira brought to justice. Being overwhelmed by the death of his daughter, Holly's father committed suicide back in 1988, and her mother died of emphysema two years later. Oh, no. And her sister actually said in one of the interviews, she said, my parents died the day that Holly died. She's like, they were never, they they were around for years after that, obviously, but they were never, they were shells of who they used to be. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. So she said, I lost my parents the day I lost my sister, which is just terrible um on november uh so in november of 2006 iris sentence was unanimously confirmed affirmed by the superior court of pennsylvania in april of 2016 he was transferred to sci laurel highlands a minimum security prison that provides care for inmates with health needs on october 3rd 2020 here you go Ira died at the age of 79 in Pennsylvania at the Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution, Laurel Highlands. His death was reported to be of natural causes and not related to COVID-19. Because I think people, that was their first question. Uh Yeah, because of, you know, whatever. 
Um, Holly, though, she was a victim of domestic violence that ultimately led to her death. So I have to say it. If you or anyone you know is affected by abuse and needing support, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Or if you are unable to speak safely, you can always log on to the hotline.org or text LOVEIS to 22522. And that is the really sad murder of Holly Maddox by the unicorn killer dickhead Ira. You threw yeah. in another couple nicknames there. I did. I did. I just, it bothers me on such a deep, deep level. Like, she sounded, Holly just sounded like an amazing person. And it's so, it's so sad when you hear, like, there's no need. Yeah. Like, there was no need other than he was just abusive and mean and full of himself. And, you know, but I'm glad he got, he got what was, what was coming. So, yeah. but it was quite the process. Um Yeah. So well, that's- speaking of process, uh, more is an old Irish word. Ah, the Moors of Ireland. Yeah, the Irish Moors or, or Morda from the Irish Gaelic word Morda, meaning stately and noble. Nice. Something he definitely wasn't. Something the paint brand is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and last one fact for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually lean and tasty. Kidneys. You can eat. Just, you know. I did, okay, I'm go back sorry. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with it's lean and tasty. And I was like, wait, what? I was supposed to start with, yes, you can eat animal kidneys as we went back to the <laughs> description. But I've just first read the thing that said, uh, it's actually lean and tasty. Kidneys. Yeah. Like them. Mammals have your kidneys. Their role is to filter waste and toxins, but you can eat them. And they can get you a lot of money in the black market. Mm-hmm. It's a rich source of omega-3 fatty acids. So just maybe, in case. Maybe that's why. Well, on that lovely note, um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Holy Crap, Episode 8. <laughs> episode Ocho. Episode 8. Um, we really appreciate it. Yes, we do. I, I am Alex. That is Hunter. You can find us on all the social media platforms, yada, yada, yada. Please follow us on Instagram. That is my next goal is to boost that. That'd be really cool. If you have any suggestions, any comments, any of that jazz, you can get a hold of us there or at coast, the number two coast crime at gmail.com. Um, and I think next week, next time, Virginia, we could do that or we could do New Jersey. You pick. Ooh, nah, I won't pick. Okay, we'll surprise you guys next weekend. Yeah. Or next week, rather. But um, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.